0: To just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne is not here this week because we are talking to a special guest. Uh, before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. Uh, and I said we had a guest. Uh, Welcome to Just One More, Amy E. Smith. Hi, Amy. Hi. I'm so excited <laughs> to hang out. Uh, well, I usually start when we have guests with um, the question, uh, who are you and what do you do?
1: Well, okay, let's see. What do I do? I do kickboxing sometimes. Oh, you mean, <laughs> you mean in this world as my work. I uh, So my name is Amy. Amy. And you can call me Smitty if you'd like. Some of my very close friends call me that. And uh, so I work in personal development and sort of, uh, you know, I'm a life coach and communication expert. And really what that looks like is kind of twofold. It is the internal piece of genuinely believing that your voice matters, believing in your own intrinsic worth, that I, I matter, I've, I am valuable, and all of the things that you have to untangle inside of that. And then it becomes the external component of, okay, well, how do I then stand up for myself and establish boundaries? And how does that inform how I engage with other people? How do I have tough conversations with my in-laws or uh, my spouse who maybe doesn't understand the way in which I want to caretake for my body or my spirit or whatnot? You know, how do you tell somebody that you don't uh you don't want to go to their function or you're not interested or that something's offensive to you. And so those are really kind of the two major components of the work that I do in this world.
0: Uh, And you, among other things, you, in addition to your coaching, you also have a podcast.
1: I do. I do. So I've been doing a show for we just hit six years, which is kind wow. of, <laughs> we have almost 300 episodes. I'm sure we will by the time this airs. And my adorable husband is my sidekick on the show. So I like to say he's the, the Robin to my Barry Gibb or the my <laughs> to Batman or the Robin to my Howard Stern, you know, pick any of them. So many it, Robins. Yeah, exactly. So we, we talk about a lot of stuff related to loving yourself, self-doubt, perfectionism, people-pleasing, all of those things that really are the behavioral roadblocks, essentially, from us speaking our truth and being vocal about our wants, needs, and opinions. So,
0: And the podcast uh, and your website, I think, are both the joy junkie, which I love. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: I figured, you know, in a society where we have all these addictions, right, we have food addictions, we have even healthy food addictions, I caught that uh-huh. amazing podcast episode, and I figured, what, what what would shift for us if we actually had joy as our end result instead of the perfect body, or the perfect hair, or the perfect job, or all these external things we think will give us happiness? So yeah, my little corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com, and the show on iTunes or Stitcher, pretty much everywhere, is the Joy Junkie Show. Awesome! So,
0: yeah. That's uh, well, I'm always interested when I talk to people who are in coaching type professions how you how you got there, what brought you there, um, because it's not the kind of thing where like you go get a bachelor's degree in being a life coach when you're 18 years old. Right. Uh, so, what what was your path to um, to what you do now?
1: Oh wow. There's there's so many pieces of it. So I, I'll give you a bit of context. Prior to getting involved in personal development, I worked in makeup artistry, and I had kind of climbed up the corporate ladder, so to speak. I worked for a prestige makeup brand. And for all intents and purposes, I had a very big girl job at a very young age, right? Company, car, assistant, traveling the world, responsible for artist training and development for a specific region at, like, 24. So. Wow. I, I really was, my entire self-worth was kind of wrapped up in my career and who I was. And that was my identity. And I had a very pivotal moment when I was driving that company car (laughs) back and forth, commuting from my locations. And this will give you a little bit of context of the time period. So this was probably early 2000s, uh, Kelly Clarkson's breakaway had just come out. So I'm driving home, and at the time, I did all my business on my Bluetooth on, on my phone, right? There were Like important on, people do. <laughs> right, right, like important people do, and there was, there weren't any laws about it at the time. You know, now it's illegal, at least in California where I was at the time, and because I was always on the phone, I didn't even afford myself simple pleasures like, listening to music in my car it was always being really opportunistic about oh we got to cross off this box and you know keep going so at this particular point I decided you know what let me just listen to the radio so I listened to the radio it's Kelly Clarkson's breakaway and it just hits me not only are the lyrics quite poignant about where I was at the moment but you know because they're saying I'll spread my wings and fly away you know but it dawned on me that it was the first time in probably a few years that I had even listened to music in my car. Wow! And I kind of went, okay, I'm in my early 20s, and I haven't listened to music <laughs> because I've been so down the rabbit hole of working my butt off. And I had this sort of quarter life crisis. I just start bawling and I'm scream singing like, the break. <laughs> oh. And lashes, false lashes sliding down my face, rivers in my blush. I looked like the Joker. I, I get home. My husband's like, oh, my God, what happened? What happened? And I remember, you know, kind of holding up my fingers and saying, I am this close to completely losing all of who I am. And that was the impetus for me to start looking at this internal piece, right? This internal element of... Okay, I've checked off all the boxes. I have this amazing marriage. I have this incredible career. And yet, I have this emptiness in this void and I'm not happy. What's what's really happening here? And that was when I really got involved in personal development and my husband had felt so convicted actually at the time that he 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 had heard somebody on Ryan Seacrest or some some life coach was on the, on Ryan Seacrest and he came home and said, "I know what it is, babe. I know what you need to be doing. You've been doing it your whole life. You just haven't been paid for it." <laughs> <laughs> he sent away to a coaching school, and that began really the education piece for me and figuring out. I was like, "What? That's a thing. <laughs> you can be a coach. What?" And that was, I probably went to coaching school initially. I went back a couple of times, but the first time I think was in about 05 and that kind of launched this, this major excavation for myself. And I thought, I'm going to go learn a trade, right? Sure. Oh, it cracked me wide open. I mean, I had no idea how much it would transform me. And uh, one of the reasons also why I'm so emphatic about sharing it with everybody else too.
0: Yeah, I find so many people who end up in um, coaching professions or other kinds of like helping professions. Um, it's either because they needed that <laughs> um, at a point in their lives, although who doesn't? Um, but that um, so that something about their personal journey led them to a place where they were ready to uh, help give that to other people, um, and right. I I think that's so great. Um, so you went to coaching school a couple different times. You became a coach. Um, yep. What kinds of things are your clients uh, dealing with when they come to you? What What are some of the? That's a big question. I realize, but like, I I uh, you know I hit that little contact button on your website and I'm like, Amy, help me. I'm all <laughs> yes. kinds of stuff. Fill in the blank.
1: Yeah. I would say that there's there's a handful of things that people are are struggling with. I find that there are two major uh, criterion that people identify as. One is people pleasers, people who are highly highly invested in the opinions of other people, and perfectionists. So, and sometimes there's a legitimate amount of crossover, but I do find that with with more of a perfectionist mindset it is i have to be all of these things in order to be valuable in order to matter in order to be worthy and if i'm not there if i don't achieve all of these things that are at a ridiculously high bar i'm a failure so you operate in this place where a majority of the time you're just straight up unhappy same is true for people who are in sort of a people pleasing ha- habit it is, if these people like me and approve of me, then I must be worthy. If they don't, then I must not be valuable. So those two large components are very much present. But what I hear the most um, the most, is, I just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. I just want to be happy. And I've tried all of those external things, right? I've tried a, a successful career. I've tried education. I have tried buying the house. And I still don't understand why I don't feel that way. And so those are the, that I'm not happy and that I just don't believe that I'm valuable. I don't believe that I'm enough. Enoughness, worthiness constantly. Because that informs how we engage with the public. It informs the, you know, the things that we go after. It informs how we feel about our body. It informs how we feel about our health. All of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That feeling of I'm not happy and I can't explain why I think is in some ways, like the condition of, (laughs) I don't know if it's the human condition or the condition of, uh, you know, people in my general demographic, but like, you know, a lot of us, I think feel like we don't deserve to be unhappy either because we, um, you know, we have so much either, you know, generalized privilege or, you know, we've done really well at work or we're making enough money or we're lucky enough to have a partner. Um, And I think, uh, I think a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I I don't deserve help or I don't deserve to be sad because I don't have quote unquote real problems. Um but if you don't feel happy in your life, that's a real problem for you. Right.
1: Well, and I think one of the huge pieces about this that we miss by and large in our society is is emotional intelligence and understanding what emotions are. So are our situations different? Is our context different? Of course. Is it different for somebody, you know, afraid of being bombed in Syria, than somebody here who's, you know, concerned that their champagnes out of stock? You know, of <laughs> course, right? Obviously, that's not a problem. But or somebody who's maybe can't pay, pay can't pay a bill, you know, that's different than your home being bombed. However we might still be experiencing some of the same real emotions. You might be just as devastated losing a job as you are losing a child. You know, it might hit you emotionally as the same level of intensity because it's relative. So if we spend all this time comparing our scenarios and our situations and our circumstances, what we get is a, is a big fat you're not allowed to feel. You're mm-hmm. You're wrong for feeling what you feel. But I think if we understand that, we are always, always allowed to feel what we feel and we're always 100% responsible for our actions, then it brings back a sense of personal responsibility. Like if your, if your you know, partner cheats on you, is it warranted that you're furious? Yes. Are you allowed to key their car or burn their clothes? No, you're still responsible for your behavior.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have to go fix someone's car. Uh, <laughs> <just> <laughs> or kidding. burn it or set it on fire whatever. <laughs> but
1: I think we, we tangle our emotions and our actions a lot. Mm-hmm. And we are allowed to feel what we feel, period.
0: Totally. I think yeah. that's, um, you know, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say it's especially true for women, but in terms of like my experience being a woman in society, I think often um, we grow up with this idea that we're not allowed to have feelings. And then in the process of um, owning our feelings, we um, can sometimes uh, go the other direction, which is I'm allowed to have my feelings and I'm allowed to do whatever I want based on those feelings. And that is part of my you know, personal freedom. It's like, well, actually, like, you're still a person in the world and your actions still have consequences. And if you're prepared to deal with those consequences, then great. But most of us are not prepared to deal with the consequences of keying an ex's car. Uh, And so, like, maybe (laughs) that's a good thing to think about ahead of time. And it doesn't mean you don't get to be mad, but, like, maybe there's a middle ground. Um, uh, I call that when
1: self-help goes wrong. When self-help goes (laughs) bad.
0: When you're like, I can do anything I want because I love myself so much. Like, no, no, no. You still have personal responsibility. <laughs> mm-hmm, totally. Uh, well, the uh, main reason that I wanted to talk to you for the show is I wanted to talk about boundaries mm. um, because uh, we've never really talked about setting boundaries on the show, but I feel like it's a thing that gets talked about a lot in terms of like sort of the like self-care, um, you know, uh, figuring out how to be a person in the world, but but it gets talked about in this, like, very sort of, like, shallow, flippant way, like, set boundaries and stick to them. Uh and will right, get actually, right on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually um, hard to know, like, why is setting boundaries important? Like, how do I even recognize that I need to set a boundary? And then how do I be a boundary-setting person in the world while also, um, you know, like you said, not living in a world where I get to do whatever I want because... Uh, I love myself so much. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so if what, what are boundaries is a weird way yeah. to start that. But like, yeah, what, what, what kinds of things are we talking about when we're talking about boundaries?
1: Well, I'll, I'll say first and foremost, that it is a very, very broad topic. And we mm-hmm. can talk about things like personal boundaries or boundaries of self. Uh, what I would say is The way that I describe it is essentially something in your life that you will no longer tolerate or that you are saying this has to happen or this has to stop happening. And it could be something related to yourself. Because I deal so much in communication, almost always I'm talking about boundaries externally with other people. Now, if you want to figure out where do I need to establish a boundary, the fastest way to figure that out is what do you habitually complain about? <laughs> most of the time, if we're really upset with our partner, our therapist gets an earful. Or if we're really upset with our mom, our partner gets an earful. If we hate our boss, our partner also gets an earful. That. <laughs> so most of the time, if and, and I'm not talking about like a healthy clearing or a venting or an expulsion of energy. I think that's absolutely imperative. However, if you are chronically complaining about the same individual and the same types of behavior and you have not done anything about it, that's the key, then what we're doing is we're locking ourselves into a place of victimhood. We're saying, I would rather complain than actually do something about my circumstance, so I will tell everybody else except the one party who can do something to change it. So that, I would say, would be one of the best places to start, is start to take a little bit of an inventory of, is there a person or an instance or a situation that I chronically complain about? Something that your listeners might relate to is perhaps they have chosen certain ways of of healthy eating for themselves, but their in-laws don't. So perhaps when you go, when your kids go stay with your in-laws, you there are certain foods that you would really not want your children to consume, and if there's a disrespect there it becomes, It basically what's happening is it, it sends this message to you that what you care about and how you want to raise your children, that other person is just blatantly disregarding it. Now, most of the time they're not doing it from a place of malice, sure. Which, which is also why delivering a boundary has to come without malice. It has to come from a really beautiful place. So I would, that's sort of how I categorize it. It's, you know, so if I were to use that example, it would be, you know, here are the things that can't happen very specifically. And we can talk more about the steps of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be somewhat of an example.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's such a good way to, um, help, help us tune into like where we might need to do some boundary setting in our own lives. Is that like, what do I complain about all the time? What am I always talking about with, you know, so-and-so, but I haven't addressed with, the person who is actually involved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think exactly. that's so smart. Um, and this might seem like an obvious question, but like, what do we gain in our lives when we do set those boundaries? Because if it were easy, like we'd all do it, right? Like, <laughs> right. it's it's really, it's hard, and it can, it can feel hard, it can feel um, scary, or uh, it can lead us to a sad place to have to do those things, or we can be afraid that it's going to um lead to us feeling sad about things. Um and so when we're talking about doing something difficult, um, what's what's the upside? Like why <laughs> yeah, what's the payoff?
1: That's a great question. Cause one of the things that I hear from people all the time is, Oh, but I don't like confrontation. Sure. And I'm like, "Well, yeah, oh, who the- does? <laughs> yeah. Who's like, oh I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. We're Well, except for that one combative person that everybody knows. right? But there's also deep-rooted issues there. But yeah, we have to get over this idea of I don't like confrontation. That is, it's uncomfortable for all of us because what's happening is we're at odds with somebody who we would like to have favor with. We want a harmonious relationship at work. We want a harmonious relationship with our loved ones and our intimate partnerships. So I think that, Knowing that, first of all, that not liking confrontation is not an excuse because join the club. And then as far as the actual payoff, what I think gets overlooked here, when we are constantly putting everybody else before ourselves, when we are constantly making sure that our best friend sees us in a specific light, or I hope my boss thinks that I'm the perfect employee, or my in-laws think that I'm amazing, and we twist and contort our behavior in order to fit into that mold... The subconscious message that we are sending to ourselves over and over and over again is my wants, needs, and opinions just aren't as important as other people. It's everybody else first, me last. And that will inform everything in your life. That informs what you go after, what sort of things, how ambitious you are, because that informs your self-talk, right? If you have a self-talk narrative that is saying, you know, you are allowed to consume what feels good for your system. You are allowed to do the type of fitness that feels good for your body. You're allowed to move and whatever, you know, you are allowed to do that and you receive opposition from somebody else. And you go, oh, well, gosh, but they're an authority and they, they know better. And uh, now you're discounting you and your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings. And when we do this on a loop with everybody in our life, No wonder we have self-worth issues because around every corner, we're nurturing this idea that everybody else is more important. Mm -hmm. That is the payoff. That is why we have tough conversations so that we can anchor into this idea that I matter, that my beliefs matter, that my opinions matter, that the things that I want in this world matter. And you know, the execution of that is also extremely, extremely important. Like we were saying, you don't just to go, "I matter," so I'm going to be a, you know a jerk to everybody who comes. You know, no, no, no. It's not about being adversarial necessarily, but it's about that strong knowing and that being rooted in the place of confidence. But that only happens if you practice speaking up for yourself.
0: I think that's so related, too, to what you were saying earlier about that sense of, like, I'm not happy and I don't know why. I think a lot of the things that make us feel happy and fulfilled is feeling like we have sort of this a core of beliefs and of self, uh, self-worth self that sort of helps guide us in our day-to-day actions. It When we feel confident about the things that matter to us and we are living those values in the world, I think it... Um, it makes us feel more satisfied and fulfilled because we have a thing that we're going after and we're matching it with our actions. And I think boundaries um, are a tool for living, A, figuring out what your values are, and then B, making sure that the way that you live in the world is in line with those things.
1: Right. You know, and that's, I, I love that you brought that up because. Most of the time we have the entry point of anger or frustration and anger is a secondary emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basically our most easily accessible emotion, but almost always underneath there, there is a deep seated primary emotion, usually disappointment, uh, a feeling of disrespect, perhaps a depression, shame, guilt. So if we look at these things that we are initially angry about, like, let's say we're angry at a boss usually what's underneath that is not just the anger, it's the embarrassment or it's feeling as though there's a disrespect, like that you're being micromanaged or you're not being heard. It's not just that you're you're upset. It's not just that you're pissed off. It's what that action is saying to you. But again, it comes back to understanding emotion and
0: we're not taught. We're not taught to feel. We're taught to shut it all down. Totally. So, yeah, um, and you sort of touched on this before, but um, one of the things uh, that you sort of uh, lay out in some of your work is the difference between internal boundaries and external boundaries. And I think when we when we talk about like you need to set boundaries, girl, like it's uh, almost always about external boundaries, like something that you're you're setting with somebody else. Um, but I thought it was really interesting um, the way you talk about sort of how you have to address your own mindset before you can set those external boundaries like where do we what kind of work do we need to do before we even have that tough conversation with somebody else Um, what are the kinds of things that we have to figure out for ourselves internally before we go set those external boundaries
1: man that I mean that can be a million and one different things depending on what the boundary is and where where somebody is but I, I would say from sort of a meta view there's a handful of things One, I think you have to get really, really clear with your role in the matter. So a lot of times when we are establishing a boundary externally, we disregard our own poor behavior or our own poor delivery. And like I mentioned with the whole x analogy you're always responsible for your behavior you're always responsible for your cadence your rhythm your delivery how you've said something your inflection your tone and most of the time we will write off our personal responsibility because we deem what the other person did as so egregious that it warranted me lashing out right so if your your partner forgot to pay a bill or if they forgot to pick up your kid or you, you know you're parents said something really derogatory towards you and you lash out, we rationalize our lash out. And we go, oh, no, no, they deserved it though. If, if only they were different. No, you have to take radical personal responsibility. That's one key is understanding your role in the matter. Uh, the other piece of it is really understanding what you were talking about it, or, with regards to core values of what is important about giving voice to this. What is at the nucleus of this Of the merit or the importance of bringing this issue up. So, you know, with the analogy of wanting your children to consume something, you know, maybe it's related to their own dietary needs or whatever. And it's something that you feel very strongly about. You know, I have strong beliefs about the type of meat that I consume. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's absolutely a cruelty issue, it has nothing to do with you know, weight or skinniness or anything, it's an ethical code for me. So if that, if that was the case and, and somebody, I've definitely had to set boundaries in that regard. But if we're talking about this situation where you have to bring it up to the in-laws or say something like that, it's about, okay, well, what about this is really important to me? Mm -hmm. You know, what about this is, is really rooted in who I am. And, why, why is this such an incredibly important thing for me to give voice to and get really clear for you? The other thing that I would, I would get really cemented in is your, your come from or your perspective in going into it. Because a lot of times we get so acutely focused on the the receptivity and what the other person's going to say or do. And so we go in kind of ready to fight instead of going, you know what, my whole reason for establishing this boundary Is to come from a place of solidarity with my family, or to come from a place of optimum health, or to come from a place of self-care, or compassion, love, anything. I mean, truly anything. You get to decide what your motivator is. But those are some of the things that I would get really clear on before you charge into a conversation. That's a great question.
0: It makes so much sense, too, because um, there's no point in having a tough conversation If there's nothing to salvage, like if, if the answer is quit the job, don't have the tough conversation, just quit the job. Like, you know, if, if, if we didn't care about having a relationship with those, you know, parents who are feeding our kids, you know, something that we don't want them feeding them, we would just like break off our relationship with our parents. There's something, um, important about those, that job, that relationship, whatever it is, that's worth the effort of having the conversation. And I think, um, you know, figuring out what that is so that you can go in with um, that's sort of like a a way to click into going into these conversations with, uh, from a place of kindness, or at least of understanding someone else's perspective is to, is to start by saying like, there's something here for me to salvage, which is why I'm bothering to have this conversation um, and then figuring out what that is.
1: You know, the only thing that I would, I would add sort of as as a caveat to that is I do think that there are times when A boundary needs to be established where you don't really want to salvage the relationship. And I'll give you an example, Mm. but where it's important for you to speak up for you, a perfect example would be somebody who, uh, like sexual advances, something like that, where sure you can just run away or Mm. you can say, I need you to move away from me right now before I spray with my pepper spray. Or, you know, if somebody wants to rub your pregnant belly. It's like, Mm -hmm. do you really want that relationship? Of course not. But you deserve speaking up and saying, I actually find that highly offensive for you to touch my body without request. So I'm going to ask you to just politely step back. Right? Like, those are the, like, we're not continuing a relationship. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, or quitting, quitting a job. There could be some stuff where you say, you know, some of my problems here have been the harassment, but you're speaking up not to salvage the relationship, but you're speaking up for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like, that's a great point.
1: But I do agree with you that there absolutely are relationships that severance is far more advantageous than trying to talk it out. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I, I, as you were talking about, um, uh, our, you know, mindsets before going into uh, to setting boundaries, um, I thought of a really stupid example from my relationship, Oh <laughs> which, okay. which is um, when my now husband and I were first living together, um, it was the first time we ever shared a bathroom. And uh, every morning I would go into the shower and instead of the shampoo being in the nice little shower caddy, it was on the side of the tub. Why couldn't he just put it back in the caddy? He was getting it from the caddy. like It clearly goes it,
1: in the caddy. It clearly
0: goes in the caddy. Why would you put it on the side of the tub? <laughs> also, he's a giant. So it's harder for him to reach the side of the tub than the caddy. So every morning I was starting out my morning with this like anger and like resentment about this shampoo. I told you it was a dumb example. And then one day it dawned on me, I was putting the shampoo back every time. So every time he went to reach for the shampoo, it was where it had been yesterday in its correct spot he probably had no idea he wasn't putting it back. Right. And because I was not addressing it and was, you know, in my mind fixing it, but without addressing it with the person who was doing this thing that was driving me crazy, he didn't even know it was happening. Right. Um, and, and you have a, a phrase that you use for that, which is like the totally girl Um, Like, Oh, can you do this? Can you, can you do this? Can you do this? Totally. Meanwhile, I'm like simmering with resentment and rage. And it turns out all I had to do was say to my husband, like, Hey, you may not even know you're doing this, but you're not putting the shampoo back. And I don't know why, but it's really annoying me. So can you put it back? And he was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's not hard.
1: Well, you know, that's one of the other things that I love to say, especially with interpersonal relationships is, If it's a relationship like this where you really are in collaboration Mm -hmm. and where you are living together or in collaboration in some way, you at least need to give them the opportunity to be what you need. And so often we expect this Hollywood tale that everybody is going to just magically read our minds and it's just not the case. It's not true. And so much of it is setting that other person up for success simply by expressing what, what is happening for you, mm-hmm. right? And your delivery, right? So if you go to him and say, oh, why can you never put that back? What is wrong with you? You know, and get really upset. How likely do you think he's going to be like, I can't wait to work on that for you? You know, <laughs> right. he's going to be like, r-? they'll push back what's wrong with leaving it there? Why can't I, why is it
0: always going to be your way? Right. All of a sudden I've pushed him into defending a thing he does not care about at all. And like, you know, didn't even know he was doing.
1: That is why the delivery piece and the, how you speak up, how you say things, which we'll talk about, I'm sure Mm -hmm. is, is so imperative because, you know, when we talk even about like this emotional current between people if you foster vulnerability, if you show up vulnerable, which is what we're all terrified to do, you are far more likely to solicit more vulnerability on their behalf. If you show up combative, you're more likely you're going to get you know combat. Mm-hmm. Right? So,
0: yeah. Well, let's talk about the steps to setting a boundary. Um, okay. And again, this is a thing where like when you're talking about a specific thing, you can drill really deep. But on sort of a meta level, um, yeah. you had some really good, I think, overall tips for boundary setting.
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's basically a three-parter, and I will go into, you know, kind of all three of them. The first is deciding on the boundary and getting really clear. So this is where sort of that inventory of what are the things I complain about, what do I habitually not address that I'm upset about, shampoo bottle, which, by (laughs) the way, that exemplifies, I think, a majority of domestic upset. Yeah. Is it's these little things that we make up stories in our head about what the other person is doing deliberately, right? or, you know, yeah, yeah, it means he's so, not
0: trying. It means he doesn't care about how I like things to be. It means he's not invested in keeping our house nice. It means it means it means when really it means that like he's not awake and doesn't think about it exactly, not on his radar at all,
1: right. so the the piece around decision and deciding on the boundary, this is where I would highly encourage you to get very qualitative and quantitative, meaning that there's a very definitive line if that boundary has been breached or not. So an example would be, if I'm using again, the in-laws thing, uh, if I know, and I don't have kids, so I don't, <laughs> but I assume so many people do, but if you, let's say you really don't want high fructose corn syrup to be consumed by your kids. And again, I don't, I'm with you on, I don't think things are bad or good. I think you got, you can very much decipher what you think is healthy for you. So anyway, if, if that's the case, you would go to them and say, here's the specifics of my request here. Here's, this is what I will no longer tolerate. Or, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine who her in-laws told her, if you leave your children with us, we are going to go have them baptized in our religion. You know, and would keep threatening and saying, "We're going to impose our religious beliefs." And so she had to really put down a hard line boundary. So something in that, as far as deciding and making it really crystal clear, is here is what I do not want any longer. I do not want them to to be talked to about your faith. I do not want any mention of the word baptism. I do not want them to go to any specific. Uh, courses, classes, anything like that, So, just where it's very clear if it's been breached or not, because that will come back in when we talk about number three. So in another example, this is more so an example of uh, being really crystal clear communicator, not necessarily a boundary, but if you were to talk to your partner, like, oh, I just would really like a lot more romance in the relationship. Well, what the hell does that mean? Does that mean?
0: (laughs) Right. If they knew, you probably wouldn't have to ask. (laughs) Does that mean, you know, he might think, oh, that means
1: initiate sex more or, oh, that means she wants flowers more. And you're going, no, I just want you to actually do the laundry and leave a cute note on it. Right? Like whatever your perspective of romance is, that's why the decision piece is really clear. So one of the things that, that I will use is sort of the preface of the phrase, here is what I am requesting. And that is where you can get really quantifiable. That's the decide part. Then you go into deliver which is actually having the conversation. Now, a lot of what we've talked about thus far has been your delivery and how you say something. One of the things that I think is really important with the delivery piece is to request the time to talk. So instead of going to your boss or your partner or your spouse or whoever and saying like, we need to talk, to say like, hey, I've got some stuff I'd really love to run by you. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Again, if it's a collaborative relationship, And some things that I would like to share with you, things on my mind, something of that nature. When do you have time to talk? Because you're already setting up the conversation in a soft envelope, right? It's Mm -hmm. really soft and it's not like, ooh, confrontation. And then, and then you go in to that conversation and start with gratitude. Thank you so much for always watching the kids. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I so appreciate you just having a little bit of an open mind. I know we have some differences of opinions about things. It means the world to me. In psychology, they call it a soft startup. You're softly entering in versus hard, which again is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to softly start in. And one of the easiest ways to do that is gratitude. And then you simply say, here's what I'm noticing. Here's what's going on. And here's, here's my request. Here's how it lands. Here's how your behavior lands. So instead of saying, you do this, you do that, you do this, it's, you know we have mentioned these certain things that we would really appreciate if you want to talk about baptism around the children and it just seems as though that's been brought up over and over and over again and I'll tell you you know from our side of the the, the coin I know that this is incredibly important to you and we're not coming from a place of uh it, it, being upset with you for what you believe or wanting to change what you believe. But I'll be really honest, the way it feels over here is like a blatant disrespect. Like we don't care what you want to do with the kids. We don't care, you know, that sort of a thing. Here's what I'm requesting going forward, being really clear. That whole thing right there is what I work with people on for weeks. (laughs) Right. Because that piece is challenging. And then finally, the third step is to enforce it. And I think so much of the time we think, okay, if I had this tough conversation, if I got the guts up to do that, oh, cool, I'm all done. But in reality, most people in your life are going to test the boundary. They're going to see if Joanna really means it. Do you really mean it? Let me poke. Let me try. Because most people really do like the people-pleaser version of you. They like the one that acquiesces. They like the one who just rolls over and doesn't make a fuss. So the enforced piece is... Coming back to the boundary and saying, hey, mom, you know how we had that discussion a while back? Hey, partner, remember when we were talking about blah, blah, blah? And it's basically saying, I really meant it. Hey, remember that? I really meant it in a really soft way. And then you get to decide internally when does the ultimatum come? when does it, how many times am I going to enforce this before I I really do something about it? How many times am I going to enforce this with my adult child before I actually have them police escorted out of the home and kick them out? Right? Like when Mm -hmm. does it become a very serious consequence? But I don't think we have to get to ultimatum status nearly as much as we think we do. Because I think what most people do is they go, okay, either I work on this or I abandon the relationship and I just, or I hide, hide underneath things and just don't ever deal with it. And we usually choose something that perpetuates our suffering.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of another um, family example that I would bet is an issue for a lot of our listeners, which is um, dealing with family, especially like parental commentary Either about our weight or appearance, or the weight or appearance of our children, um, just because I think that's a dynamic in a lot of families um, that uh, one way parents or grandparents think that they are showing care is by commenting on your weight, your diet, any of those things. And for a lot of our listeners who are making the you know transition into leaving diet culture behind and trying to you know live in this more intuitive way, it can be really triggering. And it can also, it it just feels really bad. Um, And so I can imagine a situation where uh, someone says, okay, I need to set a boundary about, um, you know, my mom commenting on my weight. Um, So I would need to get crystal clear with my, this is not my mom, she would never say anything, but my theoretical mom. uh, uh, And say, you know, um, I'd request my time to talk, I'd do my soft start, you know you know, uh, and, and say, uh, come up with my, what my specific ask was maybe something like, um, what I'm asking from you is that we don't discuss my body or weight anymore. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll work with Amy for a few weeks to come up with a nice, graceful, kind way to say this. <laughs> uh, and then, um, what you were saying about enforcement, not having to be an ultimatum, I think is so great because, Part of what setting, what having a boundary setting conversation does is it opens the door. It makes it not as scary to bring it up the next time. So the next time, you know, my theoretical made up mother says something about what I'm eating, I don't have to start from zero again. I can start from, hey, remember that conversation we had? This is a great example. Let's talk about something else. Um, Yeah. Instead of saying, like, well, that's it, table flip, like I'm out of here. <laughs>
1: yes. No. Well, in a, the thing that's really interesting right now is – Even with regards to social justice and with the influx of our technological advances, so many people are having a voice that couldn't have a voice. So many people are having platforms, right? Like diet culture is starting to, like the anti-diet culture is starting to have this massive wave and women going like, oh yeah, I don't have to be defined just by my outer shell and my, I forget what you call it, like a skin suit or something. Uh, Yeah, skin sack. Skin sack. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't have to be that any longer. And I think one of the things that we miss if we get really vitriolic in our responses to people is our ability to actually educate because mm-hmm. mom probably operates under that same paradigm. And if we come at it from this like kind of grandiose high, you know, holier than thou, because look at what a hippie, educated person I am about new age woo-woo stuff, and you know, they start to feel like, oh, oh. so one of the one of the things that I would suggest is, I love using the word intention and using it around your intention and their intention. So the way it would sound is, mom, you know, I I assume it is not at all your intention to trigger me, or I know you are really coming from such a leveling pace. But I, I really, if the tables were turned, I would want to hear how some of my words are landing for you. So I I hope you can really hear this because I'm really genuinely coming from a place of, My intention being to keep us closer or to connect. So when you do that, it tends to go like, oh, oh, she cares about this relationship. And then you can say, you know, something that I've been really enveloped in or people who are listening can say something that I've really learned from this podcast that I've, I've listened to for quite a while is how so much of our worth societally is wrapped up into our physical body and how I don't really want that at all to be my guidance. So here's what I'm requesting. It would mean the world to me if you would eliminate any any sort of comments about body or food choices. But what would mean the world is if you if you recognize certain advancements in my character. Like if you said, wow, honey, that was super generous of you. Or I'm so proud of the ambition that you've been tapping into. Or something like that. You know, I'm really working on my assertiveness. If you notice me being assertive and compliment me on that, that would just send me over the roof, right? So teaching people how to compliment you or criticize
0: in a way that's helpful for you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's great. You're good at this, Amy. You should well, uh, do it for a living. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Many, um, years, many years. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then uh, another uh, a thing that you said about sort of like what happens after this conversation that I think is so powerful is that um, the personal win is in speaking up, not in the response that you get from the person. And especially for those of us who are people pleasers, um We, you know, we can come in with the intentions of grace and kindness, but we can't really control what the other person decides to do. We don't get to control their actions. And so um, setting ourselves up so that um, we feel personal success from having had that conversation in a way that makes us feel proud instead of based on how the other person reacts, I think is such a great way to frame it.
1: There's another phrase that I say all the time that kind of encapsulates this, which is you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. And, you know, you could have, you could, Dita Von Ties always says, you know, you could be the, the juiciest, ripest peach in all the land or something like that. And there's still going to be people who don't like peaches. Mm-hmm. So you could present yourself, you could deliver a boundary, and you could be so kind and so gracious, and there are going to be people who kick back against it. And it honestly doesn't have to do with you. It has a lot to do with them. So that is why we can only use ourselves as the barometer for success. Am I proud of how I've conducted myself? Am I proud of my own delivery? And the thing to kind of be aware of is this dichotomous emotion that you typically feel. So on one side, like let's say you speak up, you receive opposition, somebody doesn't like what you have to say. You have these tandem emotions of, I'm super, super proud of myself and i'm super disappointed and and a little bummed out about what that person had to say so i think you know, there's, there's different notions that are kind of touted in personal development that seem like they're going to be the magic pill, like just love yourself and then you'll avoid all hardship. And that's not what's happening. Or just speak up and all your relationships will be magical. No, 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 no. We speak up so that we cement this idea that I matter just as much as everybody else. And I'm, I'm the only one who can advocate for my wants, needs, and opinions. And there are going to be people who don't like that. And I look at that as a okay. I've given them every opportunity to be what I need, and then they have shown me that they're not capable of that. So I think, hey, it's just like gluten doesn't work for everybody, right? And don't <laughs> have to spend all your time being mad at gluten. You just go, okay, cool, doesn't work for my system, sweet. If that person, if it works for that person, great. So that's kind of how I view for relationships. I'm like, I don't have to spend my time in judgment of why they suck or why they're awful. I can just go, Oh, that person doesn't work for Amy's system. Okay. Thank you for showing me that.
0: Right. right? Totally. (laughs) Uh, well, uh, Amy talks about all sorts of things, not just boundaries and has great strategies for dealing with all sorts of stuff. And I know that you do like coaching and workshops and all sorts of things. So if people want to know more about you and your work, where on the internet can they find you?
1: Yeah, so my little universe is over at thejoyjunkie.com, and junkie is just spelled J-U-N-K-I-E. And when you go over there, you'll see two options for some freebies. There's actually three options. I'm full of all the freebies. <laughs> uh, obviously, the podcast is completely free. But in the toolbar, you'll see a workshop that really kind of shares the the methodology behind my work. And then you'll also see a a workbook, a free workbook that also comes in audiobook format too. That is truly all about what we've been talking about today, finding your worth and then being able to communicate about it.
0: Awesome. And I'll link to all of that stuff in our show notes so that people can find it easily. Uh, Awesome. Amy Eastman, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I had such a blast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is normally hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna schauff We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, for help subscribing, and to join us on Patreon, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at just one more pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash just one more podcast, or you can email us at info at just more podcast Thanks again and we'll see you next week.